Holiday House Books for Young People presents Stephen Banks, author of Middle School Bites, in conversation with editor Sally Morgridge. Welcome to The Guest Book. I'm Sally Morgridge, editor at Holiday House, and today we have Stephen Banks, author of Middle School Bites, a fabulous new middle grade series at Holiday House. We had book one out in February, book two will be out September, and book three coming next year in 2021. So Stephen, I wanted to ask um, how you got started writing for kids. People may may or may not know that you have a long history working on some of our favorite cartoons like SpongeBob, Cat Dog, and The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron. And of course, you've written a YA novel, and now you're writing a middle grade series. So what led you to writing for kids, and, and how did you get your start? Well, the, for, yeah, the first book was the YA book, and I had written some books based on some of the cartoons, SpongeBob and Jimmy Newton, original stories, and I really enjoyed it, in addition to working on the TV shows. And I had always loved, I really got into reading in school, and I thought, I want to try this. Uh, and so I had done the YA novel, as you said, and then... I thought, I want to do a middle school book because some of my favorite books are middle school books. And I had this nutty idea um, and off I went <laughs> and I wrote it. <laughs> and so you'd, you'd already had years of experience writing for kids um, on, on the cartoons. But how did you find writing for books was different than writing for television? Well, the, um, the main thing is, you know, the author really has to paint a picture uh, even though the book is illustrated by Mark Fearing, uh, but you also have, you really have to show the tone of the voice, how that character's reacting. There's a lot more detail uh, going into it as opposed you have the advantage in a cartoon of you can hear a great voice actor is doing the voice and you're seeing these great images and you have to paint that whole picture so they can have it in their mind. And I knew that, of course, going in and it's a challenge because you don't want to do too little, you don't want to do too much. And, uh, but I do like, uh, I think in a way I like, but I prefer doing books in a way because you can take more time, get a little deeper into a subject. And, uh, at the same time, you want to keep the reader wanting to turn that next page. What happens next? What happens next? What happens next? And another one, just to be brutally honest is <laughs> TV versus books. You only get notes from one person, which is you. <laughs> As That's to true. You get a lot of notes from a lot of people. A lot of people. Some of them know what they're doing and some of them do not. You right. thankfully, thankfully know what you're doing. You're very good at your jobs. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and trust me, I've, I've worked with <laughs> dozens and dozens of people giving notes and there's a real art to it. So uh, it's, it's very different, but in a way, some things are similar. You mentioned time. So we spend a lot of time working on and revising each book, but how long would you spend working over a year for our listeners who may not know each, each novel really start to finish, including the art process does take us about 12 months. And how long would you spend on one episode of say SpongeBob? Well, SpongeBob was unique because that's what's called a, a board-driven show, which means it's a storyboard. And what we did for those were a premise, which is about half a page, which described beginning, middle, and end. We did, an, the writers, we did an outline, which was like two pages broken into scenes, 
you know, the Krusty Krab, SpongeBob's house, wherever. And we would describe in detail what would happen, but very no, none, very little dialogue, usually okay. no dialogue. Then that is what was given to the storyboard artists who did honestly 95% of the dialogue, probably 98%, nah, 98% of the dialogue, uh, and drew the pictures of what was going to happen. And uh, that, of course, so for us on those, it was a couple weeks and so forth after getting notes and discussing what they were. On Jimmy Neutron and Catdog, which were script shows, uh, we would usually have two weeks to write the, well, like a week to write the premise, maybe a week to write the outline, and probably two weeks to write the actual script. Now, those were 11-minute scripts, and so they were like 14 pages long, let's say. Uh, so because the, there's a schedule, a very important schedule in television production. And you, you got to hit those days because they can't right. get behind because everything is all set up. Yeah. Um, doing this, we're going to record on this date. This show's got to be ready. Interesting. I, I, all this time we've worked together, I had no idea that SpongeBob worked differently or, you know, that's interesting to hear the differences. It is. It is. And that's what like the Warner Brothers old cartoons, 30s, 40s, that's how those were doing. The There are other board-driven shows. Phineas and Ferb is a board-driven show. The Great Show Adventure Time is a board-driven show. And they really, there's a whole different feel to them as opposed to shows that have scripts. But there are certain shows that they should be scripted. Do you have a preference between the two types? Not really. Uh, at first, when they when they were hiring me on SpongeBob, because I, I came on SpongeBob in series, I, I worked on series four, five, six, seven. I mean, uh, seasons four, five, six, seven, eight, and uh, they said, "Well, now, because I had just done script driven trips before," and they said, "Now, when you do this, remember we only write outlines," and they thought I wouldn't want to do it because it was just premises and outlines. But I love the show. I was a huge fan. And, you know, honestly, it was an honor to work on that show. It's one of the all-time great <laughs> cartoon series. And so I said, no, no, I don't mind. And I, in a way, I thought of it as less work, which I guess down to it, it really was. But at the same time, I would go to all the storyboard sessions where they would do, you would, they would read them out loud and I would give notes, oh, let's do this or we don't need this scene and whatever. And then I also went to all the records, which were great fun to just listen to those voice actors doing the voices. And then every once in a while, I would, they'd ask, well, should we do this or change this or something? But most of the time they were pros and they knew what they were doing. <laughs> so Middle School Bites is out in audiobook version as well. Um, and I, I know you've listened, Stephen, and you really loved the voice actor who, who read it. it. Does that feel a little bit like the animation background? It's totally different, but did it remind you of listening in to the voice acting recordings? It did a little bit just in that it had that that feeling of hearing him do voices and so forth of the characters and especially of Tom, which was so important uh, because obviously it's an adult doing a kid's voice, but he has to have that feeling of an 11 year old and also at the same time do many, many other voices, girls, boys, adult, men, women, adult, you know, all sorts of different characters and that's a real challenge. So it does have, yeah, it does have some of that feeling. And I think the book, and I was concerned about the audio, and they we cast my first choice of everything <laughs> we want, um, is how that would come off. And, you know, I was, I was very pleased because that's important. And it's another great way to listen to the book, which was expertly narrated by Robbie Damon. And my grandniece is a little too young to read at this point, but she listened to it recently on vacation. And trust me, 
she didn't like it, she would have told me. <laughs> and she loved it. She, she was just so intrigued. And it's oh, first person. Awesome. The book is written in first person. So it lends itself, I think, you know, to having an audio book. Yeah, so it's definitely suited for listening. So speaking of Tom, how did you get the idea for Tom's particular challenges, let's call them? And for listeners who may not be familiar, Tom is bit by a vampire, a werewolf, and a zombie the day before he's set to begin sixth grade. So that's that's a lot going into middle school. Mm-hmm. Well, middle school is a challenge uh, for everyone to certain degrees. It's so different from elementary school. And I just thought, what if I heightened that experience in a way? Uh, I know vampires have been done. Werewolves of kids, you know, turn into werewolves. Kids turn into zombies. But I really researched and looked. No one had done it before. (laughs) We're all three. And these are the three classic biters. And I thought, what if this kid had just the worst luck of all time the day before he starts middle school and he's, which he's, you know, a little bit nervous about, understandably, this happens to him. So it, I think it taps in on one level to any kid who feels different or unusual or not like everybody else can identify with Tom. And uh, yet at the same time, it's not hitting it as a big, serious, heavy subject, which a lot of middle school books do and a lot of great ones do. And there's some ones that aren't so great, but at the heart of it, it's dealing with the ups and downs of middle school. Does someone like you? Do you like someone? You're feeling left out. Um, and I wanted to sort of hit all those elements of, uh, and especially just appearances, which are unfortunately very, very big to people. And even as they grow and are they're, they're adults. And it's that point of Tom does look very different and unusual. It's not extreme. It's subtle because he's one third each thing. And it's, it's, it sort of addresses that, or I wanted to see, you know, the skill of getting to know someone, you first see him and go, wow, what, what is this? And at first they just think it's, it's slight that he may be sick or his hair is messed up, a new hairdo, or his eyes are watery because it's allergic, or his ears have just gotten slightly pointy over the summer and his teeth are kind of fangs, not big major fangs, but oh, maybe he needs braces. So I intentionally did it subtly, but I think it still addresses thing all those those concerns that kids have and even with tom the friend he has to share a locker with who becomes a friend uh abel cheryl who is what he thinks is the weirdest kid at school because he literally wears a suit and tie and carries a briefcase to school every day and he has always done this i and, love abel <laughs> yeah yeah and he um and it's like, oh, I don't want to be lumped with him because also middle school is very about groups. What group are you going to belong with or, you know, be identified with or so forth? And at first, Tom's like, oh, no, I got to share a locker with this kid. But then later, uh, Tom turns into by far, the, for lack of a better word, the weirdest kid at school <laughs> because he's a vam wolf zom. And suddenly Abel doesn't look quite so uh, uh, different and strange. And then he discovers that Abel really is, a, he's a very intelligent guy, very smart and uh, very intriguing and becomes one of his best friends. I love Abel, as I said, and I, I know you were inspired by real life friends and classmates for some of the characters. Is Abel one of them? Oh yes, definitely. Abel is based on two people. Uh, the first one, the suit is I had a friend named Mark Wheeler, who's a geologist and a fencer. He actually scored number one in fencing championship for uh, 
people over a certain age, which I won't say. Um, <laughs> that sounds uh, like something Abel would do someday. <laughs> oh, I know. Don't worry. He'll do it at some point. Uh, and he wore, <laughs> in elementary school, he started wearing a suit. At, he started in kindergarten, a suit and tie, and carried a briefcase to school. Now, I must admit, for a while, I carried a briefcase to school in, to, to put my lunch in because I, for some reason, I was obsessed with brief. I thought the briefcase was so cool because it was like a grown up. Executives had them, and of course, James Bond had one. And so, I love this idea of briefcase, and I'd open it up, and that's what I have my lunch in. Uh, but it's more based on Mark Wheeler. The, the more the other person is really based on is a good friend of mine named Bill Prady, who is a television writer who co-created a show you may have heard of, Big Bang Theory. Mm. Uh, and worked on a lot of other stuff. Very intelligent fellow. He, I can't remember if it was fifth grade or sixth grade, read the entire encyclopedia. And this is the encyclopedia set, not just the one big book. This is like, you know, a 20 volume set. I know people don't use encyclopedias anymore, but they were a big thing. And so he essentially knew about everything. And whenever you had a question, in fact, Chuck Lorre, the guy that co-created Big Bang Theory and did Mom and Two and a Half Men and all those other shows, uh, it used to be pre-Google. If he had a question about something, he would call Bill up and go, Bill, what is Ben Franklin or this, you know, some crazy thing? And Bill would know it. He'd what just a come, useful oh, well. friend. Yeah. yeah, he was like this human Google. So anyway, uh, I did name a teacher after Bill Prady, the science teacher, because Bill is very much into science, but he doesn't look anything like uh, Mr. Brady looks. But the character of Abel Sherald, yeah, is definitely uh, after Bill. And then Zeke Zimmerman, who is Tom's best friend, is based on the son of a very good friend of mine, who is this great kid. He's an adult now, but he was always so enthusiastic. He had no governor, but he didn't. The key thing was he didn't really care what people thought. He wasn't. Af- he was never afraid to act silly and just do something because it looked fun and he great enthusiasm and just completely off the wall uh, kid, very engaging, very sweet, sweet kid. And so that's, that's who um, Zeke is based on. And the, the phrase excellent comes from another friend of mine, Jeff Jasper, who would go excellent, who <laughs> played a huge part in my uh, love of books and really stepped up my game as far as literature in literally in, in middle school. Um, my barber, who is also a serious weightlifter and, you know, kind of looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger when he takes his shirt off. Um, and uh, Capri, who is one other one of Tom's friends, an artist named after my niece, who's a really good artist. Her character's in the same. And then Tanner Gant, the bully. Uh, there was this guy at my school named Jack King in middle school, who was this tough, badass looking kid. And he wore like big leather boots. And here's what he'd do. He'd ride on his Stingray bicycle really fast, put his boots down on the the street, and he'd put something metal thing that would make sparks fly up from the bottom of his boots. It was a great visual. Wow. (laughs) But I didn't know him that well. He was just a tough guy. You didn't want to cross him. But uh, And then other people in the show, I just totally made up. Um, Just created Annie, the girl that Tom likes, uh, the sister, Emma who I think is a wonderful, very fun character and funny character. My sister is 
not at all like that. My sister is the complete opposite. Of I'm Anna. glad to hear that uh, for your sake. Yeah. Oh yeah. Couldn't, <laughs> couldn't be farther from her, but Although, I love writing Emma. Yeah. Emma, you know, all of the characters I have to say, Tanner Gant, the bully, Emma, the sort of bratty big sister, they're multidimensional. And what I love about the books is you get to see Emma's loyal side. You, you know, she's, she stands up for Tom, occasionally very very occasionally and tanner i think readers are lucky to get to see the the other side of the bully too and i think that that's often left out of middle school books and middle school movies and um i think it's great that that you show those sides yeah yeah there that was because i i didn't want to make them one-dimensional and especially on the book you know why is a bully that way why are they like that and in the second book, you learn more. And then in the third book, you really get some things. Spoiler alert, not a big <laughs> but uh, in, a, in a very interesting way, Tom actually ends up in Tanner Gant's room and just in his bedroom at his house. And what he sees in that room, you just learn volumes about uh, Tanner. He goes into his house and witnesses and Tom isn't seen by Tanner for, for different reasons. But uh yeah, that's to me, it's fun to show because that's how people are. There's a reason people are the way they are. And middle school has a lot to do with it, I think. Oh, definitely. <laughs> that stuff is just, it's so out there. Um, and thinking back, you know, to my experiences in middle school and my son's experience, which was a great thing to remember. The trick I used, because I think, well, what was I thinking? How was I? And the, the way I could do it, because you think, oh, middle school, you kind of picture it. But it was odd. What helped me is I would look up on Google, I could have asked Bill Brady. I would look up on Google, okay, what were the top TV shows and movies? And that, inst- I thought, oh, okay, so this is what I was going through. This is what I liked. This is what I didn't like. This is what I was reading. And that proved to be an invaluable source to just make me touch back. And also, maybe it's just because I'm immature. Uh, it's it's not hard for me to go back to that middle school, you know, that 11, 12 year old state of mind, because I can remember it very clearly. Yeah, that's great. And having two sons probably helped, as you said, you know, the way you write a middle school boy character, you've been around middle school boys, not in the last 10 years, but uh, more recently than your own middle school experience. Oh, definitely, which was help because there have been big major changes and mostly for the good, like the fact that you know, PE is co-ed now. I think he, maybe in the first draft, I think Sally. I remember that. Yeah. That, like, you know, and I thought, well, that's how it was. It was such a different thing. And the idea of boys and girls together was like crazy. Um, what will they do next? Uh, <laughs> and that's such a different thing. And it's great. And it just, it, it helped, helped the book and so forth. So that's a very, uh, I know I went on Facebook. I wrote to people. I said, Are most of your kids, middle schools co-ed PE. And they are all like, yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, and looking at my own kids, uh, just of all those elements, you know, dances, uh, uh, girls, boy, dealing with people, you know, lockers, where to sit in class, and it, uh, it, 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 it was a, it's a great resource. And then the other thing, I'm very lucky. My wife is a tutor. She, um, in pre-pandemic, she tutored, uh, she tutored kids at home. She does it online now, and a lot of them are right in middle age, middle grade. And as far as the way kids speak and talk and the words they use, uh, I could listen in from the other room. And then, of course, 
the best thing was we actually had a built-in focus group. My wife taught in two hours, would take a short break and read to the kids for language and experience. She actually read the first book to several kids and would take notes. When are they bored? When are they excited? When do they laugh? When do they react? And one kid in particular, and it was just a wonderful, and they, the kid didn't know that I wrote it. It was just, oh, we had this book and she just read it. And, uh, it was great to have an in, literally in-house <laughs> focus group right there. And I had just a wonderful moment when each chapter ends, pretty not a cliffhanger, but you want to turn the next page to find what's happening. And my wife finished and stopped and took a pause. And I heard the little boy say, I love this book. <laughs> and it was so inspiring because all authors, I think, go through anyone creating stuff. You always want, is this good? I mean, I had serious doubt. Like, is this good or is it? A stupid idea. Is there too much? Is it too much to be a Van Wolf song? Is this boring? Is this funny? And it's always nice to get those words of encouragement and know you're relating, especially to your target audience. Right. I mean, that experience is so valuable, even to me as an editor, because when the, when the manuscript first came in for submission, what I just felt so confident in was your ability to make kids laugh and to know what was funny. And I, I could give you notes on story arc and character and, and word choice and all of that, but you can't really, you can't edit <laughs> sense of humor. You can't edit it in. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would never be able to successfully do that as an editor. It's either there or it's not. And so um, you really nailed it. And I have to thank those kids and your wife's <laughs> tutoring <laughs> group as well, because I'm sure they were a big help. Um, oh, it was. It. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a, I think there's a great way to approach kids and involve kids with humor. And that is the thing on, on all the books. They're intentionally written to be very entertaining and very funny to intrigue kids, to pull kids in, to read them and so forth. Yet at the same time, Make some point, get some points across, which a lot of times you can do in humor. And a lot of people, you know, the great, great people do it, whether it's, well, Mark Twain or what, you know, you go to the top of the list, uh, people making serious points using humor, uh, which might not appeal to a kid or, you know, even have them read it. If it's like this big, serious thing, and you're being didactic as far as, you know, get along with other kids. You know, if you put it in this <laughs> entertaining way and you can sneak those a little, you know, lessons in or examples of life. And Tom isn't perfect by far. I mean, he's judging people and making judgments and misjudgments. In fact, he, a lot of the time, he's so wrong, (laughs) which I enjoy. And then he sort of learns that he wants to be more like Zeke. I mean, Tom's a little uptight. He wants to be more like Zeke, who's much more of a free spirit and doesn't let things bother him. And is, you know, if he wants to do something, you know, if he likes a Halloween, certain Halloween costume or a video game and other kids don't like it, doesn't bother him. He just, I want to be more like Zeke too. Yes. Yes. That should be a button. <laughs> well, I, I find myself adopting his, his catchphrase, excellent, all in caps with an exclamation point. Uh, you know, I'll use it a lot in emails to you as sort of an in-joke. And then I find myself using it in other emails to other authors who may oh, not <laughs> who may not even get it. But, you know, part of my job is building up enthusiasm for authors and their books and the whole process. And um, I'm definitely inspired by Zeke's enthusiasm there. So oh, good. Yeah. So you mentioned thinking back to books you liked as a middle schooler. Did you have favorite books when you were Tom's age? And, and how do you feel about them now? Yes, I did. I, def- I I read a real mix of things in middle school. I went back and thought about that. 
I read, you know, movie novelizations like the movie version of The Music Man or 2001, which actually was a real book by Arthur C. Clarke, you know, Bonnie and Clyde. And I also, I remember I really important was S's for Space and R's for Rocket by Ray Bradbury. Uh, good friends of ours gave us that, gave me that book. And it was like, wow. And it was short stories, which are wonderful because you accomplish. I finished one. I can finish. I can read another one. But then also, I, it was weird. I was trying to remember when I read other books. And in middle school, I read Animal Farm in middle school by choice because I had this friend, Jeff Jasper, this friend of mine. And uh, he took me to this place that was called the American Bookstore in Glendale, California, which I was born and raised. And I'm still there. I haven't got out. And it was very, it was written by this, owned by this very intense guy. And who I later found out and realized it was interesting. He had this, you know, tattoo on his arm of these numbers. And then I realized, my God, he was, you know, a Holocaust survivor. Uh, and they, I didn't connect then at all. And it wasn't until years later, I meant, wait a minute. Uh, but it was a really good bookstore. And, and it wasn't, you know, the, the name American bookstore that had really nothing to do with the book. They had everything by all sorts of authors. Uh, but I read, Catcher in the Rye <laughs> uh, when I was in middle school and I read uh, by J.D. Salinger and I read uh, Cannery Row by John Steinbeck, which my good friend Jeff Jasper, he took me to the store and paperbacks were so cheap. We bought like, he goes, this is good. This is good. And Cannery Row, which is my favorite novel by John Steinbeck. And I think, uh, and when I was reading the James Bond books uh, by Ian Fleming, um, which are really, also help. Uh, I think they're underrated. People think they're just pulp or whatever. And, and they're very well written. Um, they are, they're written in a different time. There is some stuff that is not politically, like, that is literally, that is racist on, on, you know, that that's in there. Um, uh, but his, his, so you should be prepared for that. But the, um, his ability to do action sequences, especially on her majesty's secret service, because action sequences are tough because they're long. You got to know what's going on. He is so good at that, but they're wonderful. They're, they're, they're wonderful books. Uh, but as an adult, I read, there are a lot of books I didn't read that I should have been reading. I mean, instead of Goldfinger, I should have been reading Charlotte's Web. <laughs> but I read a lot of these as an adult, which if you haven't read them, adults should read the book, the middle grade books, especially now are so good. Of course, all the classics, there's a reason they are classics, but recently, some you might not know about whatever, um, there's a book series called The Incorrigible Children of Ashton Place by Mary Rose Wood. And it's about a governess who's 15 and takes and is a, gets this job taking care of these three kids who were literally raised by wolves. And there is a lot more to it. And it's in I've recommended it to adults and to kids because it works on both levels. It's beautifully written. It's beautifully written and it's laugh out loud funny. There's six books in the series. That one is wonderful. There's a book called uh, The Tripod Trilogy by John Christopher, a science fiction. I think he's from England. I'm not sure. Maybe not. Um, but the, here's the uh, on that. Don't start with the, the Tripod Trilogy. There's three books. Um, start with The White Mountain. Do not read when the tripods came. That's a prequel and it will spoil things and it's not quite up to the snuff the other, but it's really good for reluctant reader kids. It's science fiction, but it's wonderful. Uh, a book called The Dead Fathers Club by Matt Craig, which um, I read because the protagonist is an 11-year-old boy and I'm. it's very much about getting how an 11-year-old boy speaks. And Sally, we have this sometimes where I think like, 
okay, would he use this word or would he say it like that? Because I really want to keep that voice very, very true. Sometimes in books, you get off and you go, mm, this kid's starting to sound like Charles Dickens or this kid's sounding like, you know, James Joyce or someone. And it's you want to keep it the fact that it's the correct age. Um, the it's I know a lot of people read the absolutely true diary of a part-time Indian by Sherman Alexie is wonderful. I guess technically it's counted as a middle grade book. That book is really good. Uh, the one and only Ivan uh, by Catherine Applegate. It, it looks very simple, but it's not very, very short chapters. Another good book, probably for a reluctant reader. I love that. The graveyard book by Neil Gaiman. I just read that very spooky. Um, and I also loved Indian in the Cupboard by Lynn Reed Banks. No, no relation. Classic. Yeah, that was a wonderful series. So there are there are a lot of good. There's such good middle grade books uh, out there now, and there's really bad ones too. So you want to read reviews, you want to see other books, talk to other people, um, get their recommendations, see what they are, and uh, you know uh, compare. And there's old ones and there's new ones. The and of course Raoul Dahl, which I didn't read, is middle grade, which are you know that's like the gold standard <laughs> and let us not forget the first uh the first three i guess uh harry potter books really are mid- middle grade books i mean he's that's how old he is he's essentially starting middle school at hogwarts i always tell you know authors who are who are trying to get started that reading in the genre they're writing is is really the best way to get a feel for voice um what kids want to read about, you know, books that have become successful in the last five years can be a great guide, not, not to, to copy from or, or not to, you know, mm-hmm. sap all your creativity, but it can really tell you so much about what kids want to, to come across in, in books and how to capture that voice, which as you say, is the key. You lose your reader if you don't sound like an eleven-year-old. So yeah, no, it's true, and and whether it's first person or if you're writing in third, describing them, you can still do it. Like let's say Harry Potter, but even when Harry speaks or he's thinking, it's definitely you know in the, you know in the first one, eleven-year-old kid, and and there's such a variety of styles of middle-grade books. The good thing now is it's a lot. There's a lot more subjects that people never would have tackled or described, and you know middle-grade. It can be it can be very tough. A lot's going on physically, psychologically, and so forth. And and dealing with that for kids, if you can identify with someone, and it, it's been the example of many books that are you know bestsellers and and very popular. Uh, but it's it's nice to see the variety of subject matters that can be addressed because you're going through a lot. And I look back on my years there of other people, things I didn't know um, that were going on. And um, you think, Oh wow, this was happening. And they're just, there weren't things, there weren't books that really addressed that. Yeah. We have much better representation and, and we're working towards better representation. And I think that, yeah, that's always an area where, where we can try to do better because our kids deserve it. Mm -hmm. So as we wrap up, this is the guest book. Um, would you like to le- to sign our guest book to leave a message for our listeners who may be parents, kids, teachers, librarians, fans of Holiday House? What would you like to leave them with? Read Middle School Bites. Still, <laughs> um, <laughs> seriously, no read. I'll take. That. Um, I would say 
whatever it takes to get your kid to read. A lot of times books assigned in school, more in later grades, but in school are so such the reading list even my kids got in school. Some of them were dead on and some of them were like, no, no, no. He doesn't really want to read Pride and Prejudice. I think a lot of books turn kids off to reading. And I don't care if the kid's really into sports, get them a book about sports or or, or you know, something simple. Gra- graphic novels are another great way to get into reading. You can do that and then, okay, let, let's lead to the next one. Because I think at that age, it's it's you know you can turn a kid off to reading for their life very quickly and you know they may have dyslexia there may be there, there may be other things involved but an entertain whatever it is entertaining book i mean look at me i was reading movie novelizations <laughs> um, you became a writer <laughs> yes and i became a writer but i i think that's you know and read your kids try to show by example if you're reading you know crack open a book an adult reading a middle grade book you'll be surprised nick hornby the great Irish writer, I don't know why I said Irish, but he is Irish, uh, said, he's just a great writer, period, said, why aren't all books as good as middle grade and YA novels? And he said, all these other books just go into so much, they're too long, they're this, this. Those books move, they're exciting, they address cool subjects, they're funny, they're intriguing. So uh, figure out a way to get kids to read, because it's a lot, you can be a lifelong habit and it exposed you. And they just recently did a study. Boy, this is a long answer, isn't it? I don't care. Uh, re- it, they, my wife are the same. Reading fiction is that thing that helps you identify with other people. And it, it can build up empathy because you're experiencing things that maybe you didn't go through. Maybe somebody you knew or like, wow, next person you meet, it's like, man, they went through this and they're surviving. I mean, it can be very, very inspiring. Even someone who goes through really horrific, tragic stuff, but triumphs, that can be very inspiring because you think, well, gee, I can get through this thing because, you know, I don't have it half as bad. And then you learn some life skills too. So read, 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 read. I love that. Thank you so much, Stephen. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you.